I'm going to start the service today by doing something a little unusual, something I don't often do. I'm going to start the service with a, a feat of athleticism that will astound you, I promise. Um, I don't do this often because I don't make the other men in the church feel bad, but I'm going to today. So I need two volunteers, Nathan and Luke. Come on down. You're the next contestant on what is the preacher going to make me do today? Okay, I want you to hold this bar, one on each end, hold it up as high as you can. Or hold, Luke, you hold it up as high as you can, Nathan, you hold it as high as Luke can. Okay, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to stand flat-footed in a suit without stretching in a somewhat gimpy knee, and I'm going to leap the bar. Okay. okay, does everybody believe I can do that? Okay, here I go, one, two, hang on, lower it just a little bit more. Okay. One, two, wait, just a little bit more. Okay, one, two, wait, not quite there. Okay, one, hang on, no, it's still, okay, one, no, go ahead and put it all the way on the ground. Woo! That's right, that's impressive, I know. I know, you guys can be seated. Thank you to my lovely assistants. Ladies, they're both single, so keep that in mind. Have you ever thought that sometimes that we do that to God's promises? Right? God has given us these amazing promises that they're, they're what you would call high bar promises. Right? They're, they're way up and they're huge and they're enormous. And, and so we, we hold to them and we look at it and then we begin to say, man, that's big. I mean, that's just a great big thing. So what we start doing is we start lowering the bar. Right. OK, well, God didn't mean it this way. He meant it this way. And we lower it and we lower it and we lower it until it gets down to the point where it's no big deal. We're just like, woohoo, look at what God did. Right? I mean, I, I think that's something that happens in our lives. And I think part of the reason that this happens is because God often makes us wait for his timing. I mean, have you ever noticed that God doesn't seem to get in a hurry when we're in a hurry. But many times, God doesn't do things in the timing that we want Him to do it in. But God has promised things, and He has said He will do these things, and He will. John's going to turn my lapel mic off and stay in the pulpit. I'll try to stay in the pulpit. Um, he has promised to fulfill these things, and, and He will, but He does them in His time. And waiting on God can be an enormous test of faith. It can be an enormous test of our hope. Faith and hope are difficult to maintain while we wait. And the longer we have to wait, the more difficult it becomes. And this, I believe, is even more difficult when we're clinging to an actual promise from God. Not just something we think, man, I desperately want God to do this. But, but you dig into Scripture, you find something God has said, this is what I will do. This is what I can do. And you, you take it and you cling to it and you pray, God, do what you have said you will do. Do what you have said you can do. And then it doesn't happen. At least not in the time that we want it to happen. And a temptation that we face in this time is to begin to lower the bar. We begin to lower Scripture till it fits our circumstances. We start coming up with reasons why God doesn't do what Scripture says He clearly does. We lower Scripture till it fits with our circumstances. We, we easily leap over the bar and we shout, hooray. 
We lower the bar of God's promises until, like my feet of athleticism, they're really not that impressive to begin with. But what if we're not supposed to do that? What if, what if, despite the weight, despite the difficulty, despite the challenge to our faith and to our hope, we are meant to maintain the high bar of what God said He actually means? How do we do that? How do we maintain a a big faith and an expecting hope when we wait day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Page 860 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who calls, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. The title of the message this morning is Waiting in Hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And God, we want today to maintain a high bar. Lord, we do not want to lower Scripture and your promises down to where they are easily manageable and easily doable. We don't want to lower them down to the point where we really don't even need you to do it. Father, help us today to maintain a high bar faith. Help us today to maintain that what you have said is exactly what you have meant. That, Lord, we don't have to reinterpret it and we don't have to lower it and we don't have to adjust it. But, God, we can take you at your word. We can live like this stuff's going to come to pass because, God, you are worthy of our trust and you are worthy of our devotion. Heavenly Father, today, let your Holy Spirit come and speak into our hearts. Let him take your word and strengthen us and encourage us and challenge us and change us. And Father, give us the kind of hope that we need to have, that we would live with expectation and we would live, God, confident that you will do all of the things you've said you will do. Oh, God, we love you today and we need you desperately to do this in our lives. Father, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words in your ways for your glory, that I would not in any way be a hindrance to what you want to do in our lives. And God, we do want you to do things in our lives today. Father, encourage the discouraged, strengthen the weak, restore the backslider, save the lost. God, do your will in each of our lives and let us leave here today knowing that the living God was at work in us, saying that it was good to be in the house of the Lord today. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if there was anybody in the Bible that had to wait on God's timing, it was Abraham. 
God gave Abraham a promise that he would have a child and that he would be the father of a great nation, the father of many nations. But Abraham had to wait 25 years. I mean, that's a long time to have to wait. And, and, and every day that he waited was just one more day that it became even more impossible by human standards for it to happen. But he waited. And he not only waited, but he waited in faith and he waited in hope. He waited with a sense of anticipation that it would happen. How on earth could he do that? One of the things that I noticed as I was studying this passage is that Abraham really is not the focus, but God is. See, the story of Abraham in the Bible altogether, but especially right here, it's not the story of a great man with a great faith in God. Rather, it's the story of a man with a faith in a great God. But Abraham maintained his faith and he maintained his hope because he was convinced in verse 21 that that what God had promised, God could do, that God was great and God was awesome and God could do anything that God said he could do. Abraham was convinced in the character and the nature of God. And so he was able to wait in hope. On God's timing. And the thought that kept coming to my mind as I studied was this. The faith in God's character. It enables me to wait in hope on God's timing. Faith in God's character enables me to wait in hope on God's timing. I think this passage shows us three ways to have faith in God's character so that it will enable us to wait in hope on God's timing. The first to enlarge my view of God. But as Abraham was waiting on God to fulfill a promise to give him a son, this time there was nothing he could do. There was nothing Sarah could do. They were both too old at the time God initially spoke to them. But that wasn't even the biggest issue, is that all of their lives, neither one of them had been able. As Sarah was not able to conceive, or Abraham wasn't, so they, they just couldn't have kids. But it says in verse 17 that that in the presence of him of whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. God, Abraham had in his mind the idea that God could give life to the dead, even the deadness of his body and Sarah's womb. And that God could call those things that did not exist as though they do. God could say you will have a son. And it would actually come to pass. And that's important. Abraham's faith was in God. It was in the greatness of God, the character of God, the nature of God to be able to do whatever God said he could do. Abraham didn't have faith in Abraham to bring this miracle to pass. Abraham didn't have faith in faith to bring this to pass. Abraham didn't positively confess his son, to come to pass. Abraham believed God, that there was a God he knew, and that God could do anything he said he could do. He could call things that did not exist and make them exist. He could bring 
life where death once reigned. Abraham believed God was every bit as big and great and awesome and powerful as God said he was. You know, if we are to wait in hope, we too must believe that God is every bit as big and powerful and awesome as he says that he is. And we have to do this rather than lowering the bar. But in order to do this, we have to to constantly work to enlarge our view of God. Ephesians 3.20 says that, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Have you ever just pondered the greatness of what that says? God can't do just a little bit more than we can ask or imagine, but exceedingly abundantly. And not exceedingly abundantly above what we might think, but even imagine. What is the biggest thing you can imagine God doing? God can do even more than that according to Scripture, and that's not even a challenge for Him. The point of that is that God is greater than our tiny little minds can comprehend. God is infinitely more powerful than we can fathom. God is so great, we cannot exaggerate His greatness. God is so powerful, we cannot fathom the limits of His power. And so if we constantly enlarge our view, we're not going to get to the place where we have a view of God that's bigger than God actually is. At best, as we have a bigger view of God, we get closer to how God actually is. Closer to what He is really like. But everything around us seems to war against us seeing God as great as Scripture says that He is. And so we have to constantly renew our minds so that our view of God is enlarging rather than diminishing. But how do we do that? Well, here's what I do. One, I read the creation account. You know, Scripture always explains that God is the creator of all that exists. The Bible says in the beginning was God and then He created the heavens and the earth. And the picture there is that there was nothing until God just decided that something should be there. And He created all that exists. He created it out of nothing. But He did it in a particular way. If you've read the creation account, you know that in Genesis 1, there's an oft-repeated formula that says, God said, and then there was. Now, anytime I see a repetition in Scripture, I tend to underline it because I feel that God is emphasizing something that we're supposed to understand. And what, we're, what is being emphasized in the creation account is the way that God created and the greatness of His power. When God created all that there is, did He, did he strain Himself? Did he overwork himself? Did he labor from sun up to sun down? No. In fact, the picture is that God really didn't put forth an awful lot of strain on himself at all. God just said, I think there ought to be a sun. Boom, there was a sun. Hey, I think there ought to be this. And boom, there was that. I mean, it was just God thought it, God said it, and it happened. How great is the power of God that he can just speak. And things happen. His word has creative power and there is nothing anywhere that can stop him. He is not slightly challenged by any of it. Let me ask you, is your view of God that big? Is your view of God so big that he can just speak and it can happen? Or read the life of Jesus. 
read the life of Jesus. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark on Wednesday nights, and if you have missed out, man, you have missed out. The Gospel of Mark has been incredibly encouraging for me. I've thought this week that the Gospel of Mark, it it ought to be nicknamed the Gospel of Power. Because man, Jesus is awesome in the Gospel of Mark. He's not done just an awful lot of teaching where we're at. Instead, He's done an awful lot of doing. He has walked up to people that were possessed by demons and He has cast them out. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. He spoke to a storm and it stopped. He even cast demons out of a man. The man had legions of demons. And they were no match for Jesus. He rose a woman from the dead. He healed a lady that had a long-term illness. Where we're going to go, he's going to speak and cause multiply the food and the, for the people to feed a multitude of people. And in all of those stories, Jesus doesn't stress himself out to do it. He doesn't fight with the demons to win control over the person's life. He just says, go away. He didn't wrestle with the storm to make it stop. He just said, peace be still. He didn't strain to raise the woman from the dead. He just said, get up, little girl. He just just did it. And it happened. No one could stop him. Is your view of God that big? Or, Or read the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation can be confusing and weird with all of the types and symbols and stuff. But just read it in light of the great big picture of what Revelation is. Revelation is ultimately the story of God bringing history to a close. And it's just a picture of God's power. Because God just does it. God gets to the place where He's decided the earth needs to be judged for the wickedness that is rampant. And so He begins to... To do stuff. He causes lightning and thunder to come upon the earth. He causes a star to fall. He causes the sun to burn super hot. He causes weird animal-like things to come upon the earth. And he just, he just does it and no one can stop him and no one can overcome him. Now there is a period of time where the Antichrist reigns. And it seems like Satan is winning. But the Bible tells us that in this time, this authority was given to him. Who gave him the authority? God allowed that to happen. And then the Satan, the Antichrist, reigns a while and God's like, well, I'm tired of that. I'm going to toss you into a pit for a thousand years. And at the end of a thousand years, he, he gets out and he roams free again. But how did he get out? God lets him out. And he makes this one final assault and God's like, that's enough. And he tosses him in the lake of fire where Satan and the demons will perish and burn for all of eternity. See, the book of Revelation, it's not... Satan's last hurrah against God, but whoo, thankfully, God wins in the end. It's not that. The book of Revelation is, how the, is the story of how God pours out a measure of His judgment on the world before bringing history to a close and fully bringing the world into judgment. He just does it. Is your view of God that big? Or, or read about the people. Read Revelation, sorry. I'm getting carried away. I'm excited up here today. Read about the people God changed. The stuff I mentioned, that's just stuff God does. What about the people that God changed? 
What about Moses? Raised a, a privileged member of Pharaoh's family with anger management issues, to say the least. A murderer. And yet God changes him and makes him a great leader and the lawgiver of Israel. Think about Peter. A simple fisherman with foot and mouth disease, right? Peter thinks that he's going to speak it. And yet Jesus takes him and makes him a rock. Uses him to preach on the day of Pentecost and take the gospel to the Gentiles. What a change Jesus made in his life. Or Matthew. A Pharisee. I mean, a Pharisee, a tax collector. One who was a traitor against his own people for the oppressive Roman government. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Matthew just gets up and he walks and he is never the same again. Paul, a Pharisee who is self-righteous, who, who hates Jesus and is doing all that he can to stop people from talking in the name of Jesus until Jesus just says, look, I'm real, dude. You need to turn around. And Paul's like, yes, I do. And he then becomes the greatest church planner history has ever known. So many more people could be named. God's power and God's ability to change lives, it has not diminished from this day to our day. What has diminished is our view of God. And if we want to wait in hope, we must constantly fight to enlarge our view of God. We must fight the devil. We must fight the world. We must fight our flesh. And we must fight our own doubts and our own fears. Constantly enlarge our view of God, for He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Faith in God's character, it enables me to wait and hope on God's timing. So we, we enlarge my view of God. Then secondly, meditate on God's promise. What God promised to Abraham, it seemed impossible. How could a couple as old as Sarah and Abraham have children? In normal conditions, they were both well past childhood. Bearing age. Under normal conditions, their body prevented this from happening, apparently. But the reality was this wasn't a normal condition at all. This was a situation in which God had given a promise. And during all of those years of waiting, what kept Abraham going? It was his confidence that God would fulfill his promise. Notice the wording of verse 18. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Contrary to hope, he in hope believed. The picture is that Abraham believed God despite the impossibility of it all. He believed that God had promised and that God would do. And he believed despite the fact that his hope didn't seem realistic. That he would have a child. One pastor I read said, Abraham's hope was so firmly fixed on God, he just refused to listen to reason. I like that. You ever wonder how many times Abraham and Sarah recited to one another what God had promised them? I mean, 25 years, that is a long time to wait. 
How many times when one of them began to doubt, did the other one say, no, no, remember, remember what God said? How many times did, did in their minds when they began to doubt themselves, did they go over the promise that God had given them? I mean, don't you imagine they thought about that all of the time? I mean, do you think that it was just God gave them the promise and they were like, hmm, okay, one day. And they went on about their merry way. And that was the longing of their heart. They thought about that over and over and over constantly in their lives. It's what we're supposed to do as well. But the psalmist said that I will meditate on your precepts and I will contemplate your ways. And I like this verse because meditate and contemplate both carry with it more than just to quickly read. Right? To meditate is to think about it over and over again. To think about the words and the phrases that are used. To, we meditate on God's precepts. And the idea of precepts is we, we meditate, we think over and over again about what God has said. The words that He has said, the promises that He has given. We think about them long and we think about them often. Now, contemplate is the same sort of an idea as to meditate, to, it's to think deeply about, to think long and hard. But we're to think long and hard about God's ways. And, and, and from what I can gather, this refers to the things that God has done. So what we're supposed to do is not just to read the Bible and go on about our day and never think about it again. We're to, to think about it long and hard, think deeply about it, think often about what God has said, and, and think about what God has, has done. But why do we do that? Why do we think so often on God's Word and God's ways? Because whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of Scripture, might have what? Hope. This book is a book of hope. And as we meditate on God's ways, and as we meditate on God's Word, it renews, it strengthens, it, it builds our hope. Because we're going to have to wait. So we just think about it long and hard and often and repeatedly. And the more we think about God's Word and God's ways, the greater our hope becomes. So what are some, some of God's promises that you're waiting on? What are some promises that, that you need to think deeply and often on, so that you can wait and hope. Well, let me give you a couple that mean a lot to me. Romans 8.12 Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. The promise here is that we don't have to do what our sinful nature wants us to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin. The temptations will well up within us, but we don't actually have to follow them. We, as believers, have the ability not to sin. I mean, how great is that? And there are a lot of passages that say the same sort of thing. It's not the only one, but this is the one that I have memorized, the one that I think often on. Now, I believe that that promise is real and true. And what I mean by real and true is that it can actually happen. I really believe I, I have no obligation to do what my sinful nature desires. I really believe that when the temptations well up within me, I can say no. And I believe I can do it every time. Now, does that mean I do it every time? Well, if I said yes, 
And that would be a temptation and a sin all of its own. No, it does not. I fail and I sin and I follow the, the leading of my sinful nature. But I do think deeply and often about this promise because it gives me hope. It gives me hope that the failures of yesterday don't have to be the failures of tomorrow. The mistakes of the past don't have to be the mistakes of the future. That I can, can live a holy life. And it gives me hope. Another one. And these are two, but they go together in my thinking. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Two ideas that go together for that for me. One is that nothing that we do for Jesus ever in vain. The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is Jesus has risen. And because Jesus has risen and conquered death, nothing we do for Him is, is, is insignificant. It is all eternally significant. This is true even when we don't see earthly fruit. So we remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because it's good, it's useful, it's productive. The second promise is that if we just keep doing good, eventually we will see fruit. I mean, eventually, we see the fruit of our labors, of our faith, of our efforts. And I think deeply and often about these promises, and I absolutely believe they're true and they're real. And I'd love to tell you that because I believe those promises, I, I never get discouraged. The fact is, I do. I pray for people to be saved, and they're not. I share the gospel with people, wanting them to be saved, and they, and they don't. I pray for people to remain faithful to Jesus and they, they don't. I, I just try to do the things that I think I'm supposed to do and I maybe don't see what I want to see or what I expect to see from it. And that brings, can bring, deep, almost overwhelming discouragement into my life. And so I think deeply and often on these promises. Because they renew my hope and they help me to get up and to keep on going. Knowing what I did mattered. That my efforts mattered to Jesus. And that's what matters most. Now, there are many more promises that we could give here, but you get the idea. God's promises are real and true. They're, they're real. I mean, they, they really mean what they say. All of them. But God's promises being real and true doesn't mean that God is going to do them in the time or the way that we always expect. So we have to think deeply and think often on them so that we can wait and hope. That requires us to believe that He is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. It goes back to faith in God's character, enabling us to wait and hope on God's timing. So I need to enlarge my view of God. I need to meditate on God's promises. And finally, I need to live dangerously. It's important to notice in this passage that Abraham faced the facts of his situation. Verse 19. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead uh, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham knew. 
He and Sarah were too old. He knew they had never been able to have children before. He knew that what God was saying was physically, humanly impossible. And it's important to get this. right? Because hope does not ignore reality. Right? Hope does not pretend like you don't have a problem. Hope is not a denial of the facts. And I heard a guy, and it had to be the craziest thing I ever heard. But he was talking about having hope when you're sick. And he said, you're not a sick person trying to be well. You're a well person pretending to be sick. And I thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. That is not hope. That is fairy tales. Mythology. It is not biblical Christianity. Hope does not deny the facts. Hope looks them square in the face and says, my body is dead to this happening. Sarah's womb is dead to having a child. We are too old. This cannot happen humanly. But I serve a God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. Hope is fully aware of reality, but says God is bigger than my situation. God can do what man cannot. Abraham faced the facts. He was fully aware. But he just believed God was bigger than the situation he was facing. I love verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Man, can you imagine waiting 25 years and not giving up in unbelief? Just thinking, yep, maybe this is the day. Faith never grew weaker. It just got stronger as time went on. That's the faith I want to have. That's the hope in God I I want to have. Just to be fully convinced that what God has promised, He is able to do no matter what. And you notice I, I titled this point, Live Dangerously. And here's why. Hope is a dangerous thing. The danger of hope is what happens when God doesn't do what we expect. What happens when God doesn't do it in the time frame that we expect? What happens when God doesn't do it in the way we expect? Well, Scripture tells us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ever experienced that? Heart sickness? We've probably all had an experience of hoping and anticipating that God would would do something. Only to have that thing not to happen. Or not seem to happen. Or not happen in the time frame that you really thought it would. Scripture and life says that makes the heart sick. Hope is risky business. It was risky for Abraham to believe that God would give him a child. To hope that God would do what seemed humanly impossible. But he hoped anyway. 
He hoped in something that only God could do. He took a risk and he believed that God could do this. His faith in God, it formed a hope that kept him going all of those years. Waiting faithfully for God to do it. Led him to live dangerously. For Abraham to live dangerously, it meant he had to leave his homeland. He had to follow God's leading on almost a moment-by-moment basis, trusting that God would come through. He waited day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But in all that time, he waited in hope. And then one day, his hope came to pass and he held the child that God had promised him. And it was worth the wait. And it was worth the risk. And it was worth the danger. Hope is dangerous. Because to truly hope in God, it means that we take everything out of our hands and we put it in His. We are completely trusting in God to do something that no one else can do. We're placing ourselves in a position where if God doesn't come through, nothing is going to happen. We're trusting God to do what He has said He would do, what He has promised to do. To live in hope is dangerous. It's easier to lower the bar. It's easier to just play it safe. But live in hope anyway. God is worthy of our hope. Romans says that no one who trusts in God will ever be put to shame. We may not always understand why things happen the way that they happen. Why things aren't fulfilled in the way that we think they aren't fulfilled. Why prayers aren't answered in the way that we pray them. But God is still worthy of our hope. God is still worthy of our trust. God is still good. No matter what, one day hope will come to pass and it will have been worth the wait. Faith in God's character, it enables us to hope, to wait and hope on God's timing. During the Reformation, Martin Luther exchanged letters with a Roman Catholic monk named Erasmus. It's my understanding that they had been friends before Luther started the Reformation. And Erasmus opposed the Reformation, many of the ideals that Luther was promoting. And in their letters, they each tried to convince the other they were right. In one such letter, Luther wrote to Erasmus, The thoughts of God are far too human. Let it not be said of us that our thoughts of God are far too human. Let's all stand as our musicians come forward.